everyone. You're listening to KYRS Medical Expo Can at 88.1, 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour, and I'm your host, Mike Malson. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. So today, um, in this the, the sound of this interview, you're going to probably hear cars honking and loud engines, and it's going to sound like we're outdoors, and that's because... We are outdoors. This is the first time we've tried that. And we are doing this interview right underneath the Spokane's, downtown Spokane's Black Lives Matter mural. Uh, and we're talking with one of the artists, one of the 16 artists, Nicholas Saranka, um, who's uh, graciously uh, accepted to do an interview for us. And it's kind of uh, an interesting one because it's also made national news. We're sitting under his particular uh, letter that's been defaced by uh, vandals recently. So uh, we've got lots to talk about. So welcome, yeah. Nicholas. Thank you. And uh, I actually don't go by Nicholas. Oh. I go by Sironka. Sironka. Yeah. Okay. That uh, has been my uh, way of uh, identifying with my art identifying with uh, my cultural background and also it has helped to create a lot of conversation because the name alone is uh, uh, exotic to Americans and they say where is that from so that begins a conversation and uh, many people sometimes uh, wonder why is it important to know where you come from well everybody's on a journey and to know where you're coming from uh, helps even you to know where you have reached so I think uh, my use of my name, Sironka, has been a, a positive thing, even for Americans to identify with with uh, where I come from, the background I have, the heritage. And even the painting I did is a reflection of African heritage. So as you're talking about that, for those that are would be introduced to you for the yeah. very first time through this interview, where, yeah. where are you from and, and okay. maybe what is the... Uh, importance of the name Saranka? Well, I come from a country in East Africa. Africa is a big continent. Uh, we usually identify Africa with the regions, North, South Africa, East Africa, Central Africa, and West Africa. I think most Americans are very uh, acquainted with West Africa and West African culture. And uh, East Africa is not so much known except when you speak of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, which is in Tanzania, or even just uh, tourism, uh, the great wildebeest migration that's in Kenya. But I come from East Africa, uh, a country called Kenya, and I come from a a very small tribe called the Maasai. The Maasai uh, pastoralist community. We are one of the last group of 42 different tribes that held on to the cultural way of life, their cultural dress code, their their language. Uh, I believe very strongly that language is what molds you to be the cultural uh, individual that you are. What culture you belong to identifies much with what you speak. Because what you speak uh, relates to our way of life, how the way we eat, the way we group together, the, the marriage, the childhood, the narrative of 
how do we have conversation between parents and children, between adults and each other, the attitudes and the decorum. So I come from uh, Kenya. I've been uh, fortunate to have first come to the U.S. Uh, in the last year of uh, the 20th century, and that was 1999. I used to host American students coming to Kenya to learn art, which is a batik art in particular, uh, painting with wax and dye. But my strength was that I used my art to teach about my culture. And students of anthropology used to come. And unfortunately, after 9-11, students uh, were stopped from coming because of, I think, insurance and the possibility that they would not be covered for. So that left me in the cold because I, my livelihood was based on a student uh, student abroad programs. So I managed to come to a wedding here in uh, Spokane of a student who had been to my home and became like one of our family members. And I came to her wedding and uh, after that I was introduced to Whitworth College at the time. I showed them my art. I gave them a little bit of insight into what I do with my art. The Dean of Studies said, hey, why don't you teach here? So because I didn't have a work permit, it was possible for them to buy art that I had created in Kenya, which I came with. And that was the exchange. They bought my art and I taught for a while. And fortunately, when I went back home, they applied for a Fulbright. And I came back for a year as a Fulbright scholar in residence. And I taught at Whitworth, teaching art and culture. And ever since that time, Spokane really became my home. It's a place that I felt was very thirsty for knowledge on African culture to start with. Then to be specific, I used my culture as a platform for helping children to understand that being African is not just a color. Even the black students in schools that I went to uh, would identify with me and say, yeah, we are brothers and sisters. Uh, from the motherland, I would say, if you believe so much that only black makes me African, then there's something I need to add to that. That it is also an attitude of respect, a way of uh, relating to your elders, your parents, your teachers, your peers. The attitudes of being an African, the language that you use in conversations. That's what makes you African. Because we have albinos in Kenya. We have albinos in Africa. Does that make them less of Africans because they are not black? They are pigmentation? No. But they have an attitude that is very different from the white person here. And they are probably whiter than in color than the ordinary Caucasian. So it helped me to translate what does it mean to be African? What does it mean to be black? from my perspective and why should I not be ethnocentric I don't think my culture is better than yours I don't think I'm superseding you in relating to you as an African that oh my culture is better no I'm just saying this is what my culture is let me help you understand and as I do that help me understand yours because all I know about America is in the TV sex money drugs and uh, killing each other. That's not America. That's not what I've seen. 
and so many people want to come to america why because it's the land of the free free in what sense you can become anything you can work in three jobs at the same time if you like you can uh, you can speak your mind without being locked up because you said something against what you think the government is doing wrong that's the freedom i got attracted to so let's just take kenya for example yeah um would you say that they don't have that sense of freedom as compared to what you just said about you know every african country was colonized by some superpower or some foreign power we were colonized by the british the way of the british was always master servant master servant big boss small person that attitude was ingrained into when you got a teaching job when you got an office job you always had this attitude of i am bigger than you you have to have your subordinate to me i think in america the janitor and the manager in an office they can relate together without feeling i am lesser than you that's what i mean the janitor in kenya and the manager in Kenya, they have this, oh, I am so humble before you attitude. But ever since education came in of empowering the African to know that this is, he is working for you. The president is actually your servant. Why? You voted to put him there. The taxes you pay, pay him his salary. He is your servant, it's the other way around. That started to sink in. The only big mistake I think the, the superpowers made, America to, to be specific in relation to Africa, is to come in and say, we want you to be multi, uh, you know, you are, we want you to have multi-partism in your governments, many parties. But you never considered that we have different tribes that have different ways of governing their little village entities. Then we also had the foreign influence that came before you, the Americans, the British came. They had their way. You have to educate before you implement. If you don't teach me how to drive, how do you just put me in a car and say, go? You have to teach me how to drive this vehicle. You have to teach me when to slow down, when to go fast. The same with democracy and multipartism. They didn't uh, educate our population. The first multi-party elections were so blood, they, there was so much bloodshed. People dying because of what they believe is right, what they believe is wrong. But over time, they started to get educated on what it means to have multi-parties. You don't choose a party because this guy is in your tribe. You choose a party because of what it stands for as a, as a governing entity for you as a citizen. So Kenya has grown in the past 10, 15 years. But it has grown because of education. And those who are educated in the meaning of democracy coming back and saying, oh no, we know the freedoms that we are justified to have. They have had referendums where the population is involved in saying, hey, this servitude kind of stuff, we don't do them. 
What we see today in America with the police and how they stand over the citizen, that's what we saw in Kenya for years. Why do you have it now? Why are you going back to what the British used to do to us? Do you have a theory as to why we have it now? Yeah, the theory is a lack of education of why I took an oath to be a policeman. I didn't take an oath as a policeman to, to, to threaten you, to wear camouflage outfits, to go looking for my fellow citizens. No, I became a policeman to, uh, to uphold the law. If you break the law, it is my duty to take you away from society, take you before a judge and say, can you find out whether this person was doing right under the law or was doing wrong? And then you deal with him. But I cannot be the judge, the executioner, and the arresting officer all in one. Well, even as you were talking, it made me think of uh, tribes, Mm -hmm. as you were talking about. And that seems to be what's going on here, is that the uh, police officer views this other person as not a member of their tribe. Exactly. Once you start putting lines and walls between us, We are no longer fluid. When I came to America, one thing I really admired was neighbors didn't have fences. Most of the time, there was no fence between my neighbor and the next one. There was just, you can see a little hedge or just between your house and the road. There was really no, the the lawn goes all the way there. You can cut and people pass the pavement. In Kenya, the British taught you to put high fences around your property. You must stay out of my farm. You must stay out. My tribe didn't have that. We just had two elders meet and say, my boundary comes up to this tree and this river, and yours is that side, mine is this side. By consensus agreement, I respected your boundaries, you respected mine. But when you start now having people being afraid to call the person who is supposed to arbitrate between two two arguing neighbors. The black one won't call you because I think when the police comes, they'll be biased against me. The white individual will call you because, oh, I think I will win because I am your... your... No, that's wrong. I can't call you because somebody is having a barbecue in the in the park i should call the park authorities and ask them are people allowed to have barbecue in your park Mm, yes we have even put a fireplace for people to have the the barbecue you don't like it no go to another park but don't call the police who should be busy fighting crime to come and say hey don't eat here go and eat there and that's not the america that we know this is not the America we know when we go to to humbly stand before your visa section and say, I am actually a good person. I don't bring anything bad to America other than art and culture and allow you to know my culture and I want to know yours so I can tell our people more about you from what I have seen and witnessed that is real, not what I see as a fiction on TV and movies. I'm a little curious um, to, as you're talking, um, about your the education that you had in Kenya. Yes. Is it um, 
how is it the same or different than uh, our public education system here in our country? And then how did you gravitate towards art and kind of make that your medium to uh, serve as a platform for your cultural education? First, first and foremost, I was raised from the age of two by a man from Germany. I call him my father. He's German. He's a white man, if you want to put it that way. I don't see him as white. I see him as my father. Why? He's the father figure who nurtured me from two years old until I married and have a family. He saw what was a talent in me as a child. He bought me paints, he bought me artworks that I could copy and relate to and encouraged me by bringing me postcards of art his uncle used to create. So the art is a natural talent that I had, somebody identified and nurtured it because traditionally it's not a thing of my culture for an individual to be, oh you're a growing artist, you should do that, no. Then education. The British system of education have a nursery school, which you call kindergarten. Then we have primary school, which you call elementary school. Primary school is uh, used to be seven years, and then five, six years of high school, and then four years of university. If you make it to college, uh, to high school level, I think you're on your way to choose a career. Usually you can go up to uh, finish nursery school, finish elementary school, finish high school, and then pick a college of the career you want to take. I chose to take accounts because I always figured I could get a job anywhere as an accountant. You always uh, project your life in the future and say, what can save me if I'm not painting? And I started selling art Uh, when I was in high school. Then I got a job as an illustrator for magazines. And I started illustrating and I I got a job as an art director for a children's publishing company. Just because of what they saw in my creative art. So early on, did you want to always make a career in art? No. It was just a safety belt for making quick money. But I wanted to be a guy in a nice tie, driving a nice car. But my greatest ambition in my life was to be an actor. I still think I want to be an actor at some point, professionally, to earn a living out of acting in movies, acting in drama, or something that can help me raise so much money that I can again go back and help the community that I I love so much. So we were talking prior uh, to starting this interview a little yeah. bit about um, you and also other colleagues of yours from Kenya are yeah. working here and sending money back there. Yeah. How much money, actually how little money you can make here can actually provide for a lot mm-hmm. in Kenya. Yeah, the $100 is 10,000 shillings. 10,000 shillings can feed a family for a month. It's good money. So whenever I make money, I send money home. Right now with this COVID, most of my money just goes to Kenya, to friends, to family. Why? Because I say I must have been here for a time such as this, when they are not able to work, they are not able to make money. If I send 200 
dollars, that's 20,000 shillings. That feeds three families. That is uh, something that I feel a conviction for. My philosophy, even if you read my websites or my history, I always say, if I can use my talent to touch another life and make it better, then I found it. That is the purpose for which I feel God put me on this planet. That's why he gave me a talent. I don't have to study art. I just have to create and try to create something with, that has beauty and is dignifying for you enough to say, oh my gosh, I want this on my wall. Once you have it on your wall, when you pay me, some of that money is my personal conviction to give it to somebody who cannot make money back in Kenya. Somebody who needs money for school fees. Somebody who needs money to take a child to hospital. That's my blessing. And uh, the art has always been a backup plan. Now it became a career. Then when I came to the U.S., I found there is a thirst for something more here. Even right now, this movement we are in, Black Lives Matter, it's, a, it's, it's really a, the, the notion of it's about color. It's not about color. It's about the injustice towards people of color. That's how I see it. It's about saying, please stop this. We are supposed to be one. Let us have a conversation on how to end this wrongs that we feel are always directed at one race. I love white people. Most of my friends are white, if you put it in color. But I don't see you as white people. I see you as my friend. Even when I sit amongst white people, I don't say, oh, I'm the only black. I don't see, honestly, I see color, but I don't attribute my friendship to you based on the pigmentation that you have. You're listening to KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for the weekend. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Women's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. Invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office, each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. You'll hear the best and progressive American roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS.
Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting Give KYRS to 44321. That's all one word Give KYRS to 44321. A minute ago, you mentioned the conversation. And yeah. We're in front of this mural. How did what you chose to put on this mural, uh, what how, what part of the conversation did you want that to be? What did you want that to say? Uh, my, the drummer, the man beating the drum is uh, synonymous with the beat, the, the, the heartbeat of every black man whose origin was Africa. Every brown person whose origin was another region that made a difference in their attributes, physical attributes, their color. That heritage that they come from, you cannot take it away. You cannot extinguish that strength of unifying uh, rhythm of the beat of I am African. And to be African is not a color, it's an attitude. The attitude of family, the attitude of friendship. What does it mean that you are my friend? Is it only I'm only your friend when I need you for something? Or are you, are we, you are my friend? I see sometimes, I was talking to a, a friend yesterday about seeing a homeless couple. They are in desperate need of food. They are in desperate need of help. But they stick together. Their love is still there. So everything surrounding their life is uh, difficult and hardship is evident. But there is an underlying current of unifying those two people, the love between them. You have not been able to take it away because they are suffering. The same applies to the African. You can put them in jail, you can step on their necks, you, but you cannot take away that pride that runs in their blood that says there's something good in me give me an opportunity so when i look at your paintings and uh uh, the print you know that my wife had uh, bought it's very you know uplifting there's a lot of looking up the sky uh whether it's holding a, a child or i'm looking at this mural yeah. It seems to me it's uh, it's a hopeful, optimistic viewpoint of life. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that a manifestation of of uh, something that's a part of you, uh, your belief? I believe very strongly that there is a, a stronger, omnipresent being that is above all of us, that unifies all of us. And that unifying force is love. You can say it is God, you can say it is wind, you can say, you can call it whatever you want to call it. This struggle right now is for let us love one another. Because if we love one another, there'll be no bias. There'll be no segregation. There'll be no wrongful conviction. There will be no unjust ways of employment they, because if you love you will always do that which is good well with that in mind i mean the reason we're here yeah is somebody through paint mm-hmm. on your part of the art yeah and that's 
really the opposite of love. <laughs> yes. Um, no, they love to do what they did. <laughs> they didn't love what you did. <laughs> yeah. uh, what? Now, I, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this question. Obviously, you weren't happy about what happened, and there was a, a lot of anguish mm-hmm. around when people saw that this had been done. What was your reaction when you heard about that? My immediate reaction was, first of all, it was inevitable that this would happen. Secondly, I said, somebody has recognized that we have made a powerful statement. And it's like saying, shut up, instead of saying, tell me, what are you saying? You don't always have to react to every situation. You can respond to it. This was a reaction, not a response. Mine is not a reaction to what they have done. Mine is a response. And my response is, yes, you poured paint. I used paint to create what I did. So we are on the same balance. At least we agree that paint can make an impact. (laughs) So I will paint it again. But before you come and do what you want to do again, let us have a conversation. Let me tell you why I really think you should stop. Let us discuss what I think is my part of the argument. You tell me what is part of your argument. Even if we disagree at the end of everything, we have reached a place of consensus that we have agreed not to agree. Or maybe I will agree with you, but I doubt that I will agree with you that two individuals with the same crime have difference in what is the penalty for the same crime. You were talking about redoing the, the actual mural part, but leaving mm-hmm. the rest of the paint. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of a significant way to interpret it. Every, every injury has a scar. Even surgery, something that you have voluntarily given your body to be surgically fixed, it leaves a scar. And that somebody will politely say, may I ask what is this scar? And you can say, oh, this was surgery I had for my, for my hand. I rode a bicycle, I fell down, these were the stitches. This too must have the history. Unfortunately, it is a narrative that will say we did this and somebody came and splashed paint on it. But I would hope the conversation would end with, and then we had a conversation about it. That's why it's still up today. It must lead to conversation. In my culture, we say words are nourishment for the spirit. What you speak, how you speak, how loud or how your temperament is has an impact on the receiver. The heart of that person receiving what you're speaking will affect their thinking and what they do from that point onwards. So use conversation as nourishment. When it's very hot, you drink water. Why? You want to cool down. When there's an argument that is heated like this, have a conversation and say, uh, you know, Maybe if I had that before, I wouldn't be telling you all lives matter because I actually see that you do believe that all lives matter, but it is this one life that seems to be not being cared for like the other ones. And you have justifiably pointed out the areas that are 
unbalanced. How can you take an oath as a judge to be an arbitrator of the scale of justice, but you are actually not following what you took an oath to do? You end up by saying, oh, this guy, he can go home because he's from a good family. How do you know his family? What tells you they're good? You should have said he's from a wealthy family. He's the only son in that family and I feel that this guy needs to inherit his parents. He, that is not the point. The point was this young man raped a woman who was unconscious and drunk. And this woman is somebody's daughter. This woman is somebody's aunt, somebody's relative, violated. This woman is a woman who needs her dignity back. And all you can say is, he comes from a good family. That is wrong. Now that is the bias that we see when you see another who does the same crime, the same level of uh, injustice to a woman, and you put him away for 35 years for the same thing. And you don't look at the family in this case. Why didn't you look at the family and say, oh, this reminds me of the other guy. He should also go home because he's from a good family. What about the woman? What do you say to her? What if she was your daughter? What do you say to your daughter? Oh, it's okay if he raped you, but he's from a good family. Nonsense. You've been here for 21 years. Yes. Uh, and obviously, when you first came here, you everything was fresh. You were oh, kind of a, and outsider. You were trying to figure out American culture. Yes, I'm you, still trying to figure well, it out. Well, that was my question. <laughs> <Even> today, <laughs> is how to what extent do you still feel like your perspective is looking at American culture from the outside, and to what extent do you feel like you are part of it, being able to um, feel like you're part of it from the inside? One thing I really appreciate is the the warmth with which Americans have received me all the time. When I go to schools, or when I go to a home, or when I make new friends, I feel the warmth of acceptance. Compared to those who have rejected me in a way, it's no comparison. I don't generalize and say, oh, because one guy pointed a finger at me and said uh, you are an uh, n-word or whatever you call it that's not all americans that's just an individual who has a problem with my pigmentation he has an opinion it's okay this is actually the country where you're free to have an opinion <laughs> so it doesn't bug me so i am accepted in american uh, life i am still learning a lot every day is an education Every day is an education on what does it mean to, to see a family and the chemistry that goes on within a family. Why is it that it is still acceptable that at 18 a child must leave their home? And yet Corona has brought families back together. How are you living today when your son and daughter cannot afford rent but I have to come back home? Do you accept them as these are my children and they're in trouble or why are you back? You need to go away. So this is also a time for me to tell them we live like this. Our 18 year olds live at home and it's okay. You can do it too. You just changed over time because of the trending of uh, life. But it doesn't mean you cannot live as family. You do. So now I can see that the American 
really has not put the foot down that the children cannot come home. In fact, the the only time I really saw families were so eager to come together was Thanksgiving. And I always ask them, are you only thankful one time of, of the year or throughout? Yeah, yeah. But Americans are thankful throughout the year with their children. They take care of their, they call their daughters, call their sons on the phone every day. It's just the way you do it that I am still, you know, I am still in educating myself on the attitudes and beatitudes of Americans. Even as I assimilate into your culture, I don't come and say, hey, I have to change this. No, I have to assimilate accepting you and hopefully you accept me and we live in harmony with each other, understanding each other. That's why I told my friend here that I have struggled so much to be able to go to your schools. I keep appealing to the District 81 office. Help me to go to schools. Have a budget for me to go to schools. Talk to the parents to raise money once in a school quarter. There are over, I don't know, 81 schools. Every month I can go to one school for a three-month period and be able to go and articulate the attitudes that children ought to have towards their parents, the way you should relate to your elders, the way you should understand black and white, the way the argument that we have today should not be existing, that there shouldn't be a black policeman and a white policeman, they should just be a policeman. You say you would like to be an actor. Yes. So if you um, were given that opportunity, not only to be the actor, you're going you're gonna to play the lead role, but you're also going to create the story mm-hmm. of this that you're going to tell. And, yeah. Uh, what would that be? Now, it, oh, I would. I've always thought of doing a, a movie that captures exactly what I do. An immigrant coming, and I explain the things that I'm not used to, and how I assimilate into this culture and we honor and respect one another. Doesn't have to be a movie of violence and sex and it just has to be a movie that helps somebody to understand this is what assimilation is about. This is what cultural acceptance is about. And uh, the money I make, everybody can make a lot of money, but the joy of having plenty comes when you can share with those who don't have. And you don't have to tell people what you have given. That is not giving. Just give. Don't let the left hand see what the right hand has given. Have you ever thought about doing a a children's book, illustrating but also writing this message? (laughs) I have, but it seems people are not advertising it. They keep calling me and saying, hey, can you pay some money? We will advertise your book. It is really doing... There's a book I called Feed Feed Me With Words. And it's a collection of my paintings and each painting has a narrative that speaks of that facet of the culture. Mothers and children, fathers and sons, wives and husbands, animals and human beings. Every aspect that I see in America, every aspect that I know relates to my culture in Africa, I articulate it in a poem that has a painting to emphasize what I wanted to say. So it is up to people to buy the book. 
so far it's not uh, something that has been easy because you, as you can imagine there are hundreds of thousands of books but I think if somebody like uh, Oprah or somebody like Morgan Freeman were to read it maybe people will say Morgan Freeman reads that book maybe I should read it That's the, that is the downfall of people who are creative you have something that is really good but if it had a name to it that's the only time we will read it no just read it because it's somebody somewhere has done something that can relate to harmonizing our lives you're so you're also an educator and you mentioned earlier that you weren't you weren't classically trained you were just no. given stuff by your father figure yeah so when you teach yeah art to kids or i mean at whitworth too yeah they're still kids basically yes what is what do you give them what do you tell them because what we've been talking a lot is about um your morals and yeah. your beliefs and mm-hmm. politics in the world and, and all of that is i mean important obviously for any artist but what what is your big uh, focus when you teach morals i have a syllabus that first of all covers uh, the lives of a Maasai from birth to death. But within that uh, trajectory of life, there are abbreviations of attitudes and behaviors at a certain age. For example, we have a cultural practice where girls were married off at the age of 16. They were married off after going through clitoridectomy, which is a FGM today. I am Maasai. I do not stand for that because what it stood for was when you circumcise the girl, she will be pure. When you circumcise the girl, she will become a woman. When you circumcise the girl, she will be more prone not to be uh, unfaithful. None of that holds water. But culturally in the past, it did. It was a way of life. But in modern life today, I believe the greatest transition that you can help a girl to become a woman is educate the woman. Let her have the same platform as the boys to compete, to be educated, to become a teacher, to become a doctor, a journalist, whatever she wants to be in life. She should also determine whether she wants to get married, if she wants to get married, whom she would like to get married to, when, and uh, she should determine if she wants to become a housewife or if she wants to become a professional woman. So that's the culture that I come with. I say, even our, our culture is not perfect. Your culture is good because it empowers the woman. But I also point out that, yes, your women are working there at the same level, but you don't pay them the same. So don't point fingers at us when you haven't completely corrected your part of the bargain. So I have a syllabus, but most of my teachings are primarily based on attitudes and moral upbringing of our children. Something that will not accelerate these biases that we see today but something that will plant a seed that says, I will not judge you based on the pigmentation of your skin. I have, I have had the misfortune of uh, experiencing racism 
I have experienced it from a white person. I have experienced it from a Hispanic. I have experienced it even from a black person. What is racism? Something that makes me feel you are treating me this badly because of the color of my skin. Because I saw you treat somebody else who was there before me, who was of a lighter skin, and you didn't do that to that person. Why are you doing it to me? You do something that helps me to see this has come because I am of this color. That's wrong. And do you think this movement is, is moving forward in that with this mural and everything that we're doing? Do you, do you feel like we're on the right path to I correcting that? Very good. I told uh, your colleague that I am missing one entity. I want to see you cannot have sheep and not have a shepherd to guide them. You cannot have sheep, but they are not being guided to the pasture or to the water. We are for this movement of saying, you must stop this bias. But I am not very much for just complaining about the bias. I am very much for creating a solution, a dialogue, a conversation that doesn't mean to be doesn't need to be impulsive. We don't have to meet on a table and just shout and yell at each other. We need leadership that can be attributed to the leadership of this movement. And this movement says, we started this based on what we see. This is how we begin to challenge. For example, defunding the police. I don't want police not to be there. But I don't want funding of police programs that only accelerate this bias. And there are experts who can point to certain anomalies in the training, in the attitudes of policemen that is brought about by funding that you're giving towards ABCD that help escalate what we are suffering as black people. So the movement is good. Now I want them to say, what do you want us to do? I want us to sit down, have a conversation. And when we have a conversation, don't give me cosmetic solutions like was done the other day. Don't say, oh, from today we are going to do ABC, and you are really not doing it. You speak, but you don't act. No. Speak and actually let me see you do it sincerely. Yeah. The word conversation keeps coming up, and as you're talking about it, I keep worrying that a lot of the places that we have our conversations, so to speak, are on social media, and but we're not having conversations Correct. on social media. So how do you think we have those conversations? You have city halls. You have leaderships that have been elected. They are the ones who can invite people to come. I have not seen the mayor come here and say, this is wrong. Why hasn't the mayor ever come here and say, why did you spoil this mirror? Why did you not come and tell us, you know, why you don't like the mirror? And yet this is a society of freedom of expression. If you don't like it, don't walk on that street, walk on another one. There are people who like to walk and see this. There are people who like photographs before this mirror. Conversation should be convened by those in leadership. And when you're in leadership, don't only lead those who stand with what you stand for. There are those who oppose what you want. You are leading them too. You cannot be a Republican president and hate everybody who is Democratic. You cannot be a Democratic president and hate everybody who is Republican or, uh, uh, you know, non-committed to any party. 
you are a president of Americans. Those who have been born here and those who have been allowed to become part of your society. You need to be a leader who is a servant of the people, not a dictator. Americans left here in aeroplanes to go all the way to Europe to bring freedom. And then you find people here raising up the flags that stood for that bondage, that stood for that genocide. That I have people on TV saying Jews will not take over from us. And people who have not even read history. I am African and I know about Holocaust and I know what it stood for. I know that there are still people today being taken to court at 92 years old for having been at Auschwitz making people die for nothing. And you come here and stand up with some swastika and feel very tough and emboldened. You must read the history and know why America was the land of the free. Why did people get on ships to come to New York seeking freedom to live freely? People put their children on the ship and they said goodbye forever. That pain, you're bringing it back again. You need to be educated on what it means that America is the land of the free. The Statue of Liberty is not just a statue, it stands for something very powerful. And I think part of that issue is that people who are waving that flag that you were talking about yeah. have never really had a conversation, that word again, with somebody like you. And they don't know, they don't want to know. You cannot say you stand for something that you cannot even articulate for me to understand. Oh, actually, your flag means a lot. No. Oh, those statues. Oh, man. That slave owner was a slave owner, but I think it is good we have his statue. No, man. We need to sit down. Because if we are standing up, you might start pacing up and down, and we cannot have a conversation where we speak at the same time. We cannot have a conversation where we are in conflict with weapons and walking around with guns. There must be sober, sober-minded articulation of what I feel I'm being oppressed about and why I think you need to change what you're doing for me to know that I'm in the land of the free. Um, I don't know how much time we have left, but I would like to... Um, for people that would like to know more about what you have to offer in terms of educational services, your, your book, children's book, or you're also involved with um, education around using art therapy for yeah. addiction, mm -hmm. where, where can they access all of that and how could somebody get a hold of you if they have an interest in that? I honestly believe in your radio program. I listen to it. I listen especially on the weekends. I had a studio in the valley, but because of COVID, I closed it down. So I have a phone number people can call, but I don't want people just calling to insult me because they didn't agree. If you don't agree with what I've said, you have a right not to agree. I will not be upset. But don't come and splash paint as a statement. Come and help me to understand what upsets you so much about this. Oh, I am upset because all lives matter. Who told you I don't believe in that? You haven't asked me. I believe that all lives matter. And that is why I think you are living one life out all the time. All means total. Include this life in the 
sharing of resources in the equity then i will say all all lives do matter another place i will put yellow lives matter white lives matter everywhere will be oh we are going to see the mural of the white matter yellow matter. but right now this is a plea not about color but about mistreatment and uh, the suffering for decades man of years of uh, bias towards a certain race that should not be and so if they want to get in touch with me i would appreciate to get through you to your station i don't know if that is uh, normal but we are having this conversation if somebody wants to talk to me they call you you give them my number give them my email i'll give you my email uh, kenyanarts at yahoo.com kenyanarts at yahoo.com yeah and they can write to me then i can give them my phone number and have a conversation but i really wish that people would uh, before we wind up i wanted to again uh, inform you of a very generous family in the year 2002 they gave me $21,000 they didn't know me they just met me in a starbucks gave me $21,000 why i told them i want to bring a maasai folk dance troupe to go to the schools to perform and teach about attitudes and behaviors that children should have towards their parents how you should behave towards your elders i articulated what that tour would stand for they financed it they had me come with my group and we went through many many schools the money that the dancers made from the payments from the school from the selling of beadwork went back home to change the lives of the same families that i had chosen to come to america people who didn't go to school people who could not get a job people who didn't have money now you help them to help their lives and they left an impact in the lives of children here of respecting and honoring their families honoring their peers uh, certain uh, uh, attitudes that we gave to them were things they had taken for granted and now they said oh we've had it from somebody else i think that is important people in spokane have money all i want to do is to go to the schools teach art teach about culture and you can ask the schools where i have gone before ask them what does he do when he comes to the schools i have parents today who will send me a text about what i did in their school in 2001 there's a school you will go today many schools in spokane they still have the painting that we did with the children in the front office displayed with a message that there is a tree of life that speaks about the attitudes we must have in life it would be a long another long avenue to articulate that but they still remember those lessons and uh, how do we start this uh, movement of change so that black lives can feel that they matter plant seeds of conversation in schools in churches in uh, meetings in your councils in meetings in your offices so that as this movement begins to grow where people say that is not right police stations should have a an oversight committee that says how have you been behaving you know even schools you have them you don't have a teacher coming and watching pornography on a school computer i'm very sure there's a backup plan for teachers who are not doing what they are supposed to do why don't you have it in the police stations 
Why do you have something that we have seen in the social media and a whole police commissioner will say we are investigating? For two months we are investigating? We saw this guy shoot somebody and you're still investigating two months later? What do you need to investigate? Come on. Yep. So I think oh, we're getting close, right? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah we're... Okay. So I have one final question. And um, if we, 10 years from now, yeah. uh, we're sitting in this parking lot, mm -hmm. uh, what would people hear from Saranka as to where he's at at that point, 10 years from now? I would like them to say, you know, that seed you planted, it's matured. We are reaping the fruits of speaking to a black child and a white child in school that helped them not to see color, but to see the content of their friendship. I know of, uh, of a four-year-old girl who could not play with other girls because she's biracial. Why should that happen at four years old? Parents should not allow that. Teachers should not allow that. But when I go to school and I tell them, have you ever seen sheep and goats together? Yes. How come they can live together and they don't have sensibility to think about how we appear? And you and I, we have a way to determine. What should determine our friendship is our attitude towards each other. If you're calling me names, why would I sit with you? Well, I appreciate so, it. Yeah. This yeah. was a wonderful conversation. I hope I so. Feel so, inspired. yeah. Thank you very much, Ron. Uh, no, I appreciate I'm sure you. That, okay.